You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know and send an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. Masky, when you think of everything uh, that is true and right, um, what are some things that come to your mind? Chances are for you, a thing that comes to your mind is um, that first sip of coffee on a stressful morning. You sip that, oh, yes, this is good, right? Maybe when you think of things that are true and right, you think of phrases like, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You'd say, yeah, that's right, that is true. We should live by that. Maybe, maybe for you, it's a, it's a moment sitting, relaxing, watching the sunset, and you say, oh, this moment is true and right. And chances are, if you're an American, after you think about it for a while, this sentence may come to your mind, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And you hear that sentence, and you say, yes, that is true and right. That is a sentence that we should live by, because that is the second sentence in the United States Constitution. It's not really, it's in the Declaration of Independence. Um, But some of you are like, yeah, Constitution, come on. Others of you are like, uh, Pastor, I think you need to look at your notes again, because Declaration, some of you are like, I don't care which it's in, it's true, and it's right, right? But, but, But this is just something we would say, yes, this is true, it's right, this is something that all people should live by. And if somebody were to ask you, well, why? Why? What, what, what makes that true and right? Maybe you'd say, well, because it's the second sentence in the Declaration of Independence, and so it makes it true and right. And if they push back a little more and they said, yeah, but, but why, do you, why does it matter what that says? Like, who cares what that says? Like, why do you believe that document over every other document? Who cares? You'd probably say, well, the, the reason why that document matters and why what it says is important is, is because that shapes our, our country. That's like what our freedom is founded on. It shapes the culture of who we are. Really, the reason we believe the Declaration of Independence is because of who it came from and what it communicates. That's why we believe that document, because of who it came from and what it communicates. You know, when it comes to the Bible, uh, I think a lot of us... Um, say things like this. You say, well, well, what does it say in the Bible, right? We have questions about life, and we just want to know, well, what does the Bible say? Or we say, well, the Bible says this. And we also sing songs that go like this. We say, yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible. Some of you weren't sure. You were like, wait, is that how it goes? <laughs> yeah, the Bible tells me so. But I wonder if you've ever stopped and wondered who cares? Who cares? Why does it matter what the Bible says? Who cares what the Bible says? Why, why, why is that important? Now, now listen, I, I know we've ne- we would never come right out and ask that question, who cares? I mean, it sounds kind of sacrilegious. Maybe you shouldn't ask that. But, but I think we ask this question all the time in the way that we live, right? I mean, the Bible teaches us to live this one way, but we live another way. And when that happens, what we're saying is, who cares? Who cares what the Bible says? Or maybe the Bible gives us an answer to a question that we have, but society and culture gives us another answer and we go with that. When we do that, what we're saying is, it doesn't really matter what the Bible says. 
Maybe, maybe there's a solution that the Bible gives us to a problem in our life, but instead we rely on our past circumstances and feelings. And so essentially what we're saying is who cares what the Bible says? And maybe the closest we ever come to actually asking that is we say this, well, I know the Bible says this, but, and then we finish the statement. And the tension that I find a lot of Christians find themselves living in is they're trying to live by the Bible, but they don't always know why. Or, or we, we, look at, we look at this book and we, we wonder, we say, yeah, I know I'm supposed to live by this. I know like this is really important, but, but why? And what I want to do today is I want to help you answer the question, why does it matter what the Bible says? Why do we care? Why is it important? And ultimately, what you're going to find is that we believe the Bible, the reason why it's important, the reason why we base our lives on the Bible, the reason why the Bible is a foundation for our life, ultimately, is because of who it came from and what it communicates. Who it came from and what it communicates. Uh, we're in the second week of this series that we started last week called Not-So-Sexy Spirituality. And uh, my goal throughout this entire four-week series is to help us become the sexiest people alive. Um, but in order to do that, it means that we have to live some not-so-sexy spiritual disciplines. And if you hear that last sentence and you're like, okay, wait, why are we talking about being sexy in church? Uh, it's because you missed last week. So go back and listen to last week. I explained why we should be the sexiest people on the planet. Ultimately, because the definition of sexy means appealing, attractive, and exciting. And we all want to be appealing, attractive, and exciting. And our faith should be appealing, exciting, and attractive to the people around us. And Jesus has called us to live this way. But in order to have a faith that's appealing, attractive, and exciting, it often takes doing some not-so-sexy spiritual disciplines. And so each week of this series, we're talking about a spiritual discipline. Last week, we talked about prayer, and I gave you the title, Pray Like You Mean It. And I explained that when we pray, we're not just praying in a, in a way that our, our prayers bounce off of the walls and off of the ceiling, but our prayers actually reverberate through the halls of heaven and reach the heart of God, and God is powerful to do all things, right? And God hears us. So last week I talked about pray like you mean it. This week, I want to give you my title, and I want to teach from this title right here. Read it like you need it. Read it like you need it. Once you take a moment to write that down, I want to talk to you about what the Bible is and what it isn't. So here we go. Read it like you need it. Now, the Bible. The Bible is a collection of 66 books. The Bible's not just one book, but it's a collection of 66 books bound together in one collection. The word Bible actually means library. And so this is a library of 66 books. The Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years by over 40 different authors on three different continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe, and it was written in three different languages. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew, the New Testament, Greek, and Aramaic. And the Bible is a complex collection of writings. The Bible consists of biographies, stories, poetry, wisdom literature, uh, prophecy, all sorts of things. And the Bible contains all sorts of themes, themes on sex and love and war and hate and violence, themes on hope and joy and peace. All sorts of themes are found in the scriptures. Really, the Bible is a complex collection that was written to real people in real places at real times regarding real situations. 
And so this is vital for us to get. The Bible is a complex collection that was written to real people in real places at real times regarding real situations. So the scriptures were not written to us in America in 2017, although we can pull things from this. What we need to understand is that this collection of documents was written to real people in real times, at real, in, in real places at real times regarding real situations. And so we need to understand what was going on then to understand how we apply it here and now. And here's the amazing thing about the Bible. The Bible isn't just about them then and there. The Bible is also about us here and now. Some people say, well, the Bible is so outdated, it doesn't make any sense. But as you begin to read it, you see that the themes that are covered in this, in this book, in this collection of books, are themes that we deal with today. So I want to give you the overarching story of the Bible, and it's this. Um, the Bible, 66 books coming together, tells an overarching story. Again, written by over 40 different authors, three different countries over a period of 1,500 years, and yet it all tells the same story. Because of this, we point to the scriptures and say, the only way that this collection of books could come together to tell one overarching story is by the hand of God. That God is the one who inspired the writing of the scriptures. That the Bible was written by real people, but God led them to write. Thus we say it is the word of God. And so here's... Um, the overarching story of the Bible, it says that God created humanity, you and I, to be in relationship with him. But at some point, humanity, represented by Adam and Eve, the first two people, rebelled against God. Essentially, they said, God, I don't want anything to do with you. I, I think living uh, my own way is better than living your way. And Adam and Eve rebel against God. By the way, you and I have done this in our lives as well. We've all at some point in our lives said, God, I think my way is better than your way. I want nothing to do with you. And, and even if you haven't come right out and said, I want nothing to do with you, when you make the decision to go your own way instead of God's way, that's what you're doing. And so Adam and Eve rebel against God. And when we rebel, sin enters the world. And sin separates us from God. Sin, what it does is it takes everything God made good and it distorts it. See, God created everything that we see as good, but sin comes in, it distorts it it, it, it twists it, and it makes it not good. And also, sin separates us from a holy God. And so all throughout the scriptures, we see that God created us to be in relationship with him. That's the only way we can be raised to true life is live in relationship with him, but sin separates us from him. And so all throughout the scriptures, God is on this endless pursuit to bridge the gap between us and him because of the sin that we committed. And so what we see in the very beginning of the scriptures in Genesis is that God begins to speak to people through angels, but this isn't close enough for God. And so eventually God says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build this tent-like structure. It's called a tabernacle. And every time you set it up, this portable structure, my presence will be there in the tabernacle, and you can come and be with me there. But this still isn't close enough for God. And so as the story unfolds, God says, okay, I want you to build a temple, this permanent structure where my presence will be, and anytime you come to the temple, you can be in my presence, but this still isn't close enough for God. And so as time goes on, God begins to speak directly to the people through prophets, but this still isn't close enough for God. And so what God does is he steps down from his throne in heaven, he takes off his heavenly robes, and he clothes himself with flesh, and he's born as an infant, as Jesus, God with us. 
The name that Jesus is referred to in the Old Testament is Emmanuel. This means God with us. So Jesus comes to live amongst us. God comes to live with us as one of us. But this still isn't close enough for God. And so what Jesus does is he takes the sin that caused us to be separated from God on himself. And when Jesus died on the cross, our sin died with him. And so Jesus takes away what separates us from God. We can now be in close relationship with God, but this still isn't close enough. Jesus rises again from the dead. And what we find in the book of Acts is that when people believe in Jesus, when they follow him and when they're immersed into him, when they're baptized into him, God's spirit comes to live inside of them. And this is God's goal. God's desire from the beginning of when he created humanity to now is that he would come to live inside of you, to take up residence in you. And this is the story of the scriptures. And it began at the beginning of the world and it continues on even to now. So you and I are a part of the story of the Bible. God's desire is to come live inside of us. Uh, at the end of this sermon, we're going to partake in communion. And it's in communion that we're reminded of this truth that Jesus came to take away our sins so that we could have a relationship with God. And when we take communion, our VIP team is gonna pass out trays and those trays are stacks of cups. The bottom cup has some bread that reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken for us. The top cup has some juice that reminds us of his blood that, blood that was shed for us. And when we do take communion, be reminded that God had been on this endless pursuit to get closer to you. So much so that he took your sin away so that you could have a relationship with him. And his ultimate goal is to live inside of you. And if you've never made the decision to believe in Jesus, Jesus, I believe that you died for me on the cross, to follow him. Because I believe in you, I wanna give you my life and I wanna live for you and to be baptized into him, to be immersed into the water, to have your sins washed away and have the spirit come live inside of you. If you've never made that decision, I wanna give you an opportunity today to do that. When you came in, you received a program and at the bottom of that program is a connect card. At the bottom left hand of that connect card is the most important box you will ever check in your life. It says, I wanna accept Christ as my savior and be baptized. If you've never made that decision, listen, that's the reason why God came in the first place is so that you could be in relationship with him. If you've never made that decision, today's the day. So fill out the connect card, mark, out, mark that box and drop it off at the black tables and we'd love to talk to you about your next step of getting baptized. Um, but this is the story of the scriptures, God on this endless pursuit to get closer to us. And then it ends with the book of Revelation, which is a prophecy of what was taking place then and there, and also what will happen when heaven comes crashing to earth and God sets up residence here with us. So the story of the Bible is a story of a God who's on this endless pursuit to get closer to us even though we were the ones who separated ourselves from him. So this is the, the overarching story of the Bible. Now, when you look at the Bible, like I said, it's a collection of 66 books. You may look and you say, okay, well, how did we get this collection? How did all of this come about? And if you're asking that question, glad you asked. I'll tell you. Here's how we got the Bible. The Bible is called a canon. A canon means it's a collection of authoritative documents. And so these 66 books here are the canon. 
And what's been decided about these 66 books is that this is God's word spoken directly to us. But how did we decide this is God's word spoken directly to us? Who made that decision? Here's how, here's how we decided it. Um, the Bible is broken up into the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is everything that took place before Jesus lived on this earth. The New Testament is everything that took place once Jesus lived on this earth. The Old Testament contains uh, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the, the, the Hebrew law, the Jewish law. It contains uh, the history of Israel. Uh, it contains the Psalms, wisdom literature, and the writings of the prophets. So that's the Old Testament. Um, and what took place is, it, 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 the, the Old Testament is communicating the origin of the history of humanity, and it's also communicating the origin of the Hebrew people and their history. So that's what we get in the Old Testament, the history of Israel. And before Jesus lived on this earth 2,000 years ago, the 39 books in the Old Testament were already agreed upon by the Hebrew people that these are authoritative writings. These, the, this collection of writings is our history. It is the history of humanity, and it's divinely inspired by God. So before Jesus ever came on the scene here on earth, um, the Hebrew Old Testament was already kind of agreed upon that this came from God by um, the people of the Jewish faith. And so the 39 books we have in the Old Testament were pretty much all together. Now they weren't in a binding like we have here, but they all pretty much agreed, yes, this is accurate and this comes from God. Jesus even believed it himself uh, when he says this in Luke 24, 44. So then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And so Jesus believed that the Old Testament was the Word of God. He refers to the threefold canon here. I'm taking you all back to Bible college. Come on. But he, he refers to that saying, yeah, the, the, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, and he kind of lumps them all in together. And for him, this is authoritative because this is talking about him. Like, the, this is prophecy about me saying I was going to come and I was going to do what I'm going to do. So Jesus believed in the Old Testament. The Old Testament was already kind of together. But as far as the New Testament books, the remaining 27 books, how do we get those? Well, the New Testament... Uh, consists of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the biographies of Jesus' life. Acts is right after that, A-C-T-S, not A-X-E, uh, but A-C-T-S. This is the Acts of the Apostles, what, what the followers of Jesus did. This contains the birth of the church, and it lets us know how the early church was and how early Christians were, how they lived. And then after Acts, we see uh, the epistles, the letters of Paul and James and Peter and John as they're writing uh, to churches that have been started. And then we have the book of Revelation, which is about what's going on then and there, not just one day, but then and there and one day. So this is the New Testament. And so how do we get these 27 books? Well, <clears throat> as early as 140 AD, there was a list that was created that had pretty much most of these books in it. And 
at the time, the early church didn't have a, a, a bound copy like this, but there were these letters that were circulating. There were these documents that were circulating that the church used for, for doctrine and for teaching. And by 140 AD, the church, the early church, mostly agreed on, hey, these are books, these are letters that are divinely inspired by God. These are authoritative. And then it was at the Council of Carthage in 397 AD that uh, church leaders got together and said, okay, these are the official books in the New Testament and the official books in the Old Testament, and they canonized, they, they gave us the binding that we have here and now. And you may hear that, and you think, okay, wait. So in 397, like a, a bunch of guys got together and said these books are in and these books are out, what gives? Like, who are they, right? But I wanna, I wanna explain a little further how this process took place, right? Here's what uh, James Packer says about this process. Uh, theologian James Packer says, the church no more gave us the New Testament canon than Sir Isaac Newton gave us the force of gravity. God gave us gravity by his work of creation, and similarly, he gave us the New Testament canon by inspiring the individual books that make it up. Essentially, what Packer is saying is this, that gravity already existed, Newton just named it, right? He just observed it and called it what it is. In the same way, the church had already seen the books that are in the Bible as authoritative. They were already using these as, as teachings, and, and they already saw it as the divine word of God. The Council of Carthage just came together and said, let's just put it all in one place. Let's just call it what it is. So it wasn't that the church made up some new stuff or whatever. They just said, hey, for the past almost 400 years, we've been looking to these books as, as the authority. Let's just put them all in one place. And so that's, that's how it happened. Here's how Frederick Bruce explained it. He's a world-renowned biblical scholar. He says, one thing must be emphatically stated. The New Testament books did not become authoritative for the church because they were formally included in a canonical list. On the contrary, the church included them in her canon because she already regarded them as divinely inspired. So it wasn't, I'll come back to the quote, it wasn't, let's make these divine and these not. They just said, yeah, we've been using this for the past 400 years, and we believe these are inspired of God, and so because of that, they'll make it in. Uh, the church included, in her canon, included them in her canon because she already regarded them as divinely inspired, recognizing their innate worth and generally apostolic authority, direct or indirect. The first ecclesiastical councils to classify the canonical books were both held in North Africa at Hippo Regius in 393 and at Carthage in 397. But what these councils did was not impose something new upon the Christian communities, but to codify what was already the general practice of these communities. They said, we're already using these, let's just put it all in one binding. It's like this. Um, my daughter has this book, it's the world's best fairy tales. And um, in this book you have uh, the gingerbread man, um, Rapunzel, uh, Red Riding Hood, uh, the Pied Piper, all sorts of different books or stories in this book. Now, what makes these stories the world's greatest fairy tales is not the fact that they're in this book. 
But the reason they were put in this book is because they were already the world's greatest fairy tales. This is just one binding, collecting all those stories together, do you see? In the same way, what made it into the Bible, the books that are in the Bible are not the word of God because they're in this binding. They're in this binding because they were already seen as the word of God, do you see? So, when we talk about the Bible, Here's why it matters, and here's why it's important. Because of who it came from. The early church and the Hebrew people believed that these documents were the word of God spoken directly to them, written down by people. When we ask the question, what does the Bible say? What does, uh, when we ask the question, what does the Bible say? Or we'll, when we say, well, in the Bible it says this, here's what we're really saying. What does God say? Here's what God says about this. When we refer to the Bible, we are referring to the very word of God. Th this is why it matters. So when we say, yeah, I know the Bible says, but we can just insert what we're really saying. I know God says, but I think I know better right? When we read from the Bible every week, when we refer to it, when we talk about it, we're talking about the very Word of God. And the reason why we look to the Bible is because we're going back to our source. We're going back to the one who created us to see what does he say about how we should live. Now, I give you all this, all this background, all this information, all this understanding about how the Bible came to be because I want to show you how we should interact with the Bible. And so I want to give you three practical points about how we should view the Bible and how we should interact with it. Um, by the way, you can follow along um, through the YouVersion app like we talked about earlier. Uh, all my notes are in there, all these points are in there, and also all the scriptures are in there for your reference. But I love it even more when you uh, take notes. So uh, here's the first point. It's this. Um, we need to understand that the Bible is the foundation for our faith. The Bible is the foundation for our faith. It's what our whole faith is built on because this is the word of God. This is what God has revealed about himself to us. So if you wanna know who God is, you read the Bible. You wanna get closer to God, you read the Bible. Our entire faith is built on this book because this is what we know about God. You know, sometimes I'll talk with people and they say, you know, I'm just feeling far from God or I don't, I don't feel very close with God, or I wonder where God is, or somebody has a negative attitude, a pessimistic outlook, or somebody has criticisms about how come we don't do this, or what about this in the church, and blah, blah, blah. And oftentimes when somebody has a problem, or a critique, or a criticism, or somebody's going through something, I'll ask them, how are you doing at reading the Bible? Like, how are you doing at reading the Bible? When's the last time you read the Bible on a consistent basis? And most of the time, the answer that I get is, I'm not doing very good or it's been like four months since I read the Bible on a consistent basis. If we're gonna grow in our faith, if you say, I just wanna know God, I wanna grow in my faith, the best way you can do that is by reading the Word of God. Because as you get to know somebody, you, you, you get closer to them, but you start to become like them, right? This is why you and your friend have the same annoying laugh. 
right? You hang out all the time. You start to become more like them. If you want to become more like God in your character and who you are, if you want to understand and know the mind of God, you've got to spend time with them. The people we spend time with, we become more like. And so the scriptures, the Bible, is the foundation for our faith. And I want to encourage you, if you're not already, to make it a habit to begin reading the Bible on a regular basis. And if you say, well, well how do I do that? I mean, I, I, I want to read. I just don't know how to do that. I want to give you some tools, some practical ways to begin reading the Bible on a regular basis. Uh, first, you need to make time to read the Bible. You can't find time. You've got to make time. If you try to find the time, you're never going to find it. You've got to make time. Well, I just don't have time. Schedule it. Put in your calendar an appointment with God. I mean, you schedule your kid's soccer practice, you schedule uh, dinner, you schedule uh, time to make sure to watch House of Cards. So schedule time to read the Bible. And here's how simple it is. Here's, here's how simple it is. Watch. Hey, Siri. Remind me to read the Bible every morning at 7.30. Okay, I'll start reminding you. Done. <laughs> Done, right? So you can set up a reminder on your phone just like that. Just schedule it and keep the appointment. So there's one way. And now maybe you say, well, well I don't really know what to read. What, what should I start reading? Here's, here's, here's what you do. So schedule the time. And then take out, take out your Bible, pick a book, and read it. <laughs> That's it. That's it. May, now, now, maybe you want to pick a short book at first. I mean, don't start with Leviticus or Genesis or something. But, but just pick, because sometimes people say, well, i got to start in the beginning. Don't start with Genesis. You, you, you might get lost after a while. But pick a short book. Go to, it, go to James or... or or read uh, Timothy, or pick a short book, but you pick a book and read it. And then you say, but, but what happens when I finish that book? Here's what you do. Pick another book and read it. That's it. It's as simple as that when it comes to reading the Bible. I don't know what to read. Pick a book and read it. Here's another thing you could do. You could start with the verses that I give you in the sermons. Go back and look at those verses, but don't just read those verses. Read the chapter before. Read the chapter that it's in. Read the chapter after. Get the whole context. Or maybe if it's in a short book, you say, I'm just going to read this whole book. But take the verses that I give you in the sermons and go back and, 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 and look at it that way. Uh, another thing you could do is if you follow along in the YouVersion app, um, by the way, if, if you're like, what is this YouVersion app? How do I do this? Um, I want to show you how to download the YouVersion app. It's so simple. Watch. Hey, Siri. <laughs> download the Bible app. Okay. Searching for Bible on the App Store. Done. Right? It comes up. You press it. You put in your code. And now it's downloaded. Now, once you have it, here's what you can do. If you follow along in the sermons, what we do is um, we put in different Bible studies that you can read. And so like today, there's a Bible study on how to read your Bible. By the way, if you're looking at using this, you gotta use it the day of, like right now in this moment, because at 11 o'clock, I think the, uh, the event is undiscoverable. You can't go back and, and, and look at it. But you look at the event, save it, then you can look back at your notes and everything that you take in there. Uh, but you can see all sorts of Bible studies in there. And the version has a ton of Bible studies, not just ones that we include, but you can search for Bible studies. It's, they, they have Bible studies on how to read your Bible. They have Bible studies on if you're a new Christian, 
They have Bible studies on joy. They have Bible studies on hope and peace, on marriage, on divorce, on dating, on being single. They have Bible studies for men, Bible studies for women. I'm pretty sure they have Bible studies for dog lovers and not cat lovers because, sorry. But (laughs) they have Bible studies galore, like tons and tons and tons of Bible studies. So if uh, you're looking for a study, version will help you do that. So the Bible is the foundation for our faith. And maybe you say, you know what, I don't really like reading the Bible. I mean, I, or, or not just reading the Bible, but I don't like reading at all. Like, I want to, um, can, can I listen to it? Yes. You can listen to it in the Bible app. The Bible app will actually read to you. Uh, and if you say, well, I don't really like the way that they read, um, I want something better, you can download an audio Bible. It's as simple as this. Hey Siri, download audio Bible app. Okay, searching for audio Bible on the app store. It's just like that. Super simple. Now, if you're saying, okay, well, do you have any recommendations for audio Bible app? I do. Um, you can download Streetlights, and it is an app where Christian rappers will read the Bible to you with a beat behind it. Galatians 1, greetings from Paul. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any We live in a day and age where not reading the Bible is not an excuse. You have every means available to you to read the Bible, to hear the Bible in almost any way that you like. And, 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 if you want, in the Bible app, I'm spending too much time on this, I gotta get going, but in the Bible app, they have different versions that you can read from. There there is, a, uh, a slang version, I forget what it's called. Anybody remember? It's, um, anybody know what I'm talking about? There's a slang version, and it's like, uh, Jesus said to his homeboys, <laughs> Yo, I'm not joking you. Like, you. There's all sorts of versions you can read, right? Yo, you about that life? Yeah, I'm about that life, but we're going to die, right? Just him. So, we live in a day and age where technology, you have all the resources you need to read the Bible. There's no excuse, but we have to read it like we need it because the Bible is the foundation for our life. I spent way too much time on that. Let me, let me get, I gotta get going. Now, listen, here's the second point is this. We read the Bible like we need it. We read it like we need it because the Bible contains the principles of God in it. The Bible contains the principles of God in it. You know, it's not just enough to have something available to you, but you got to have it in you. Um, Your workplace may have the most amazing uh, worker's handbook with answers to all the questions that you got on how to run this one process and system at your work, but if the worker's handbook stays in your drawer, you don't have the answer on how to solve the problem there. So it's not enough to just have it, 
But you got to read it like you need it because it contains the principles of God. It's not going to get into your mind and into your heart through osmosis. You can't just sleep with it under your pillow and just pray. But you got to read it like you need it because it contains the principles of God. And maybe you look at some people and you say, how come they seem to be living this, this true life? Things seem to be going so great with them. You might just say, well, it's because God loves them more than he loves me. And I mentioned this on a, on a previous Sunday, but Romans chapter 2, verse 11 says that God doesn't show favoritism. And so God is not a respecter of people. He's a respecter of principles. When you begin to live out the principles of God in your life, it transforms your life. It takes you to a whole new level. I'll give you an example of a principle of God that's found in the scriptures. Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew 23, 11. He said, the greatest among you must be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So the principle here is that if you want to rise to greatness, it's through the path of serving. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. This is the principle. You want to be great? Then serve. Let's just play this out in life. You want to be great at your, at your job? Then serve. Serve at your job. Do the things nobody else is willing to do. Show up early. Come late. Do, do whatever you got to do. Go above, above, and beyond. Serve the mission of your company, and it'll make a path to promotion. It'll take you to greatness. And if not at your job, at another place. Because of your work ethic and your humility, it opens doors for you to rise. You want to be great? Then serve. Let's, let's just play this principle out in your marriage. If both of you served one another and loved one another and didn't look out for your own interests but looked out for the interests of your spouse, wouldn't your marriage be great? You want to be great? Serve. This is, this is the principle that we find in the scriptures. Now, it's not just enough to know it, but then we've got to live it out. Here's another principle. When, when I forget, or forgiveness sets me free. There's a principle right there. Forgiveness sets me free. When I forgive, what that person did no longer informs how I live. When I forgive, what that person did no longer informs how I live. I'm set free. Here's another principle to live by. If you prove faithful with a few, you could be trusted with much. You want, you want more responsibility? Prove faithful with what's in your hand, and you'll be given what won't be able to fit in your hand. You'll be able to handle more. But we got to be trusted with a few. See, see, these are principles. If we live out these principles, it changes and transforms our life. But in order for us to live out these principles, we got to read it like we need it. It's not just going to magically pop into our soul or our mind or our heart. we got to read it like we need it. Let me give you one final point when it comes to how we interact with the Bible, and it's this. The Bible is the guidance for our life. The Bible is the guidance for our life. It shows us how to live and who we've been called to be. The Bible reminds us of our true identity when we begin to believe lies. The, the Bible reminds us of what's right and true when it seems to get a little cloudy. The Bible is the guidance for our life. And so if the Bible says it, I need to live it because this is what God is saying. We cannot treat the Bible like Thomas Jefferson did. Jefferson had his own version of the Bible. Um, it's called the Jefferson Bible, but it's really about the life and teachings of Jesus. And what Jefferson did was he went through the scriptures and he took out all the miracles of Jesus, everything he didn't like about Jesus, and he just put it together to make Jesus look like a good moral teacher. He took out the resurrection. He took out every miracle Jesus ever did. You and I cannot go through the Bible 
with a Sharpie and just cross out things we don't like. Well, I don't, I don't know about this part here that's about being generous because um, God knows my situation and uh, I can't, I'm not going to live that out. I don't, I, don't really, I don't really agree with this part that the Bible talks about with homosexuality. I think that's a little outdated. This is 2017 after all. Um, here's this other part about living sexually pure. Um, so I'm going to take that out because um, we really love each other. And um, this part over here about uh, loving my enemies. <laughs> you know Sheila at work? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Here's this one in Hebrews. Um, for, don't be, don't, don't give up the habit of meeting together or some are in the habit of doing. So church will just be something I do if I fit in my schedule. Um, let me, we, we, we can't go through the scriptures with a black highlighter and just mark out what we don't like. But we live it because it, it says it. The Bible is the guidance for our life. Let me give you one more insight on uh, this understanding of the Bible being the guidance for our life. Um, I hate going in our attic. Uh, I had to go in our attic this past week, um, and it was like 947 degrees up there. Uh, like I, I went up there, I had, to, I had to put something up in the attic, and, and while I was up there, um, part of my flesh melted. That's why my eyes are a little lower now. But I hate going up in the attic, and I really started hate, hated going up in the attic, especially when the movie The Grudge came out. You know, the girl that lives up in the attic, she's going to get you if you stand there too. So I hate going up in the attic, but I, I, I went up in there, uh, but, but, but I got to go up there every once in a while. And uh, in our attic, we have a window that lets light through. So during the day, it, it's no problem. But when I, when I went up there, um, when I go up there at night, it's pitch black. I can't see anything. And one day last year in 2016, near Christmas, uh, it, it was early December of 2016, I had to go up there at night to get some of the Christmas decorations. And I went up there in December because um, you got to let the turkey digest before you start putting up Christmas decorations, just saying. But, but I had to go up there to get uh, some decorations, and um, it, it had to be that night for some reason. I don't, I don't know why. But um, I, I went up there, and I couldn't see anything because it's pitch black. And I'm up there kind of fumbling around in the dark. And then I remembered that I had my phone on me. So I took my phone out. I swiped up, and I tapped the little flashlight icon. And all of a sudden, I could see in the dark. And I walked confidently over to those Christmas lights. And I grabbed them with authority because now I could see in the dark. See, the Bible is the guidance for our life. Here's what Psalm 119 verse 105 says. It says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. I went up in that attic. I couldn't see anything. I was fumbling around. I didn't know where I was going. But then I turned that light on. And I had confidence to walk over to my destination, grab what I needed to grab, and I got out before the girl from the grudge could get me. She was right there. I said, I got to go. But I just want to let you know this morning 
that if you're in some dark times, I know about a light that'll lead you through. But you gotta read it like you need it. If the dimness of despair is closing in around you, I know of a word that'll glow to guide you to hope, but you gotta read it like you need it. If, if you're walking and the fork in the road in front of you is shrouded by shadows and you don't know which way to go in life, I just wanna tell you about a lamp that burns brighter than the sun that will let you know where to go. It'll guide you, but you gotta read it like you need it. And so I wanna ask you this morning, are you ready for what God wants to give you? Are you ready for your breakthrough? Are you ready for more? Are you ready to live on a level that's higher than what God is calling you to? If so, you gotta read it like you need it. If you're ready, it's time to get ready. I don't think you want it. I don't think you're ready. See, the Bible is the guidance for our life. It's the foundation of our faith and it contains the principles of God. But if you're ready, you gotta read it like you need it. Because when you begin to read it like you need it, you'll find hope, you'll find peace, you'll find joy, you'll find the, the love of God shining in your life brighter than you could ever imagine. I wish some of you just said, I need it. I wish you'd stand to your feet if you need it this morning. You gotta read it like you need it. It's time to take it off the shelf. Dust it off, break it open, and start to read it like you need it. If you're ready, say read it like you need it. And I know it's only for a moment and everything is working for your glory. But I need love and love to hold me and say goodbye to And I know it's only for a moment everything is working for your glory. And I need love and love to hold me Sink within your promise to the storm Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray you were inspired and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, sign up to serve on a team, join a group, or just find out more information on The Rising, visit us at wearetherising.com.